0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another live stream. I'm Dan from DansFish.com, your friendly fishmonger. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Glad to be here Wednesday at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. That's when we do it for those that are watching after and might want to join in live. Live is always fun because you have the chat and the responses and things and just adds a little a little more fun to it all. Um, so today, well, last week I was off. I, I had a job thing last week. Uh, it was way, way too busy to do any live streaming. Hey, Thomas, welcome. Hello, Viola. Welcome. Um, Bob, glad you could make it. So, so we've been, we missed one live stream last week just because work was too crazy. I, uh, I have a job where I produce theater and direct plays and things like that. And we did steel magnolias. Um, We opened last week and went really well. We sold out um, almost all the shows. And uh, yeah, so I recovered a little bit and I'm ready to do some more fish stuff. So glad to be here. Hey, Susie Q. Welcome Q Aquatics. And Aquatic Jack, hello. Glad you are here. Welcome, folks. So today is people pile in. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Limia Perugiae, which is a cool little live bear from the Dominican Republic. And um, as usual, we'll have also just, you know, any topic related to fish that people want to bring up or questions about keeping fish, the fish hobby, aquariums, or my specialty is uh, breeding and raising tropical fish. So any of that stuff we can add in as well. i um, happy to talk about all that stuff, but I'll talk a bit about Limia Perugiae to start because I found a few things about them that are kind of interesting and I think will make for some good good discussion. Um, all right. All right. All right. So let's see here. I think we'll go ahead and get started. We've been going for a couple minutes. So um, this is the fish I want to start with. Um, let me switch this so you can see this. So this is Limia Perugiae. Um, It is. A wild type live bearer. Um, it's from the Dominican Republic. And it's right, the genus Limia uh, is constantly changing, um, <laughs> but there are many species within the genus. Right now, it seems to be a valid genus. Who knows if a, a scientist will come along and switch it back or not. But it does seem that um, most scientists are splitting rather than grouping these days. Because of our access to more technology that allows them to get a, a better glimpse of how fish are related. So due to that, there's more splitting going on. Looks like there's uh, also some Nigerfasciata being shown here, some other limia species. But these guys, the whole top row, these are definitely uh, Limia perugiae um, that we want to talk about. Now, the thing that's difficult with this fish is... If you look at those fish, just to show you one more time, there they are. That's Limia Perugiae. If you look at them here, they don't seem to be that colorful. They seem to be kind of, kind of, they got a little color. They got a little black here, a little yellow on the tail and a black margin at the end of the tail. Um, The aquarium glasser picture shows it probably the best. And then the females are, are fairly bland, but... The fish is actually really, really beautiful. The The issue is that a lot of their beauty comes from the iridescence on their scales. Um, in fact, in German, the German word for them is glitter, like the glitter limia. And I've always thought if we ever get a popular name for this fish, glitter limia would, would be a good one. Because that's what they look like. Um, each scale is highly iridescent on the sides of the fish. And they... They gleam like this kind of blue color at you. But that iridescence is almost impossible to pick up on the camera. And so none of the pictures you see of of this particular species are going to look that good. But if you see them in person, especially under some some decent lighting or even under just like the LED shop lighting that I use. um, They're actually a really, really gorgeous fish. And there's a couple neat things about this fish that I wanted to talk about to get the ball rolling. Um, and then when I'm done talking about it, I'll go back and look through the chat and look for any comments or questions on any fish-related topic, and we can uh, make sure we hit all those. But just a couple neat things about this fish. There's, it's, on the island of the Dominican Republic, it's, it's been very successful. It's, an, it's adapted to many, many different niches, from creeks to uh, lakes and ponds. To salt water, to hyper salt water as well, hypersaline water, uh, really salty lagoons and things like that. So, because of that, it's studied a lot. So we have some neat information on this fish. And there's two things I want to talk about today. One is the effect of the um, salt water on the fish, and then the other is um, the males. So there's. Let's start with the males. So, unlike most species of fish or animals there's three distinct types of males that Limia Perugiae have. And they're pretty much divided into size. One is pretty small, and then there's a medium-sized male, and then there's a large, large male. And it's actually not just a factor of how much food they get and things like that. It's actually genetic. So based on how the genes are inherited, a male will be a small male. They call it like a, a sneaker male because they when they spawn they kind of sneak in real quick and spawn um, a medium-sized male or a large male and it's gene determinant um, so it's not just a factor of environment and within one population depending on which genes are active in that fish in one population you have all three of those males and the interesting thing is there's been studies done on them about why this is and And when they do studies in captivity, it's a little skewed because you don't have the full population. Usually you're talking about groups of five males and six or seven females. So smaller groups than you'd find in nature. But what they found is that um, in captivity... um, Oh, hang on. Let me make sure I get this straight. Yeah, in captivity... In the small groups, I i might have this backwards, but I don't think I do. In the small groups, the large male is responsible for almost all the fertilization. And that makes sense, right? This large dominant male um, would do that. And the strategy of the small little males is to just kind of lay and wait and hide. And then if they get a chance, they'll dart in real quick and fertilize the female. But in captivity, the large male has almost all of the offspring. But what's interesting is that in wild populations, it's the medium-sized males that father almost all the offspring, which seems strange. It would seem that that a large male would uh, be more successful without competing in a medium-sized male. But what it looks like is happening is the large males are so concerned about their dominance and so busy defending that dominance against other males that they don't have time (laughs) to go and spawn with the females. So the medium sized males have the success in the wild. And the medium sized males carry the genes to pass on um, a next generation, which is either small, medium or large males. Whereas the small males can only create small males and the large males can only create large males. Um, I believe that's right. If I read that scientific study correctly, sometimes uh, some of the terminology escapes me, but I think that's my understanding. But I thought that that was super interesting. I don't know of another fish where um, I do know of like in cichlids and things, you'll get sneaker males or subdominant males that'll, um, but the difference is that when the dominant male dies or is removed, those fish will become dominant. Whereas in the um, limia Perugiae, it's genetic so um it's it's not a it's not just an environmental impact or a social impact it's hardwired in the genes so anyway i thought that was really interesting and then the other interesting thing i found about this fish and for those of you just joining let me show you this fish Uh, we're talking about limia perugiae a super gorgeous wild type live bear from the dominican republic this is it um But one that from pictures and videos never looks that good because of their beauty comes from an iridescence, which is super hard to catch on film and in pictures. So, we're talking about this fish. Um, And the other interesting thing I found out about this fish recently was some studies that have been done comparing um, Limia perugiae, and there is no common name. Again, I'm rooting for glitter Limia because of the iridescence, but, um, that in the, so here's what happens. They, they're very adaptable, but when they adapt to hypersaline conditions, there's so much energy that they have to use to keep their, um, Osmo regulation up. So they keep the salt content, um, manageable within their bodies that, And that takes so much energy that a couple things happen to the fish. Number one they don't get as big um, so they stay smaller but the head is bigger in comparison to the body on the hypersaline populations than the freshwater populations. They've done an analysis on this and found that they have eight times the number of proteins in the gills as freshwater species for osmotic regulation. That makes sense because they're fighting the salt water trying to keep their, their body, the right balance, um, when it comes to sodium. And so the, the face though, on the hypersaline, the head on the hypersaline populations is large because they have to fit so many more of those proteins on the cells and the gills to be able to successfully uh, keep the osmoregulation in check or in balance. And so there's so much energy that that takes that they can't grow as fast and they can't grow as big. And also the secondary sex characteristics are diminished. So there's, so they can adapt to hypersaline and there's at least two populations. I think three that live naturally in hypersaline, uh, situations in the Dominican Republic, but it does affect their morphology. It affects their phenotypes. So, um, I thought that was really interesting too. So those are two cool things I learned about this this fish this week. Um, the three kinds of males, and that it's genetic, not social, and not environmental pressure that makes that. And then the environmental of the hypersaline environments and how that affects the phenotype of the fish. So anyway, that's my geeking out for the day on that fish. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back up to chat now, see what I missed, and if you have any questions about uh, the fish hobby. Um, building a fish room, aquatic systems, uh, breeding fish, raising fish, keeping fish, you know, please feel free to ask or comment. Um, I'm happy to talk about any of that stuff. And there's a great group of people that join us too that um, can chime in and hopefully give you a good uh, uh, a good solution to your problem or some information to think about uh, regarding your comment or your question. So, all right, tilapia. Hey, tilapia, I'm glad you made it. Haven't seen you in a while. Glad you're here, man. Welcome, welcome. Dink! <laughs> um, Dink's asking, how the show go for you last week? So he's referring to a play that I directed called Steel Magnolias. Um, if you don't know that show, ask your wife or girlfriend. They probably do. Um, and it went really well. Um, the first night, we had a couple seats available, but every other show has been sold out. We've been turning people away. So That's what you want in this business. So it's doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, Candy, welcome. Rebel. Hey, Rebel Reefer, I'm glad you're here. Um, Viola. So with the correct light, they would look beautiful. Yeah, and Viola, it's not even the Delimia Perugia need um, a great light. I just have LED shop lights on them. The better light, the better they would look, of course. But it's that the camera, um, whether it's pictures or video, just doesn't pick up the iridescence very well. So I've never seen a picture or video of, of them which, which compares to how beautiful they really are in life. You know, a lot of fish look better in the picture <laughs> than they do in real life. But this is the opposite. So, um, yeah, I think a, a light with a, a little bit of uh, blue in it would look really good on them because the iridescence has this uh, greenish blue sheen to it which is beautiful. And that would probably help highlight the, the lemon yellow of the tail as well. Um, Ken Glee, Hello everyone. Hello. Welcome. Glad you're here. the Aqua, Peter. Hello folks. Glad you're all here. Aquarium cop. Again, I love the handle aquarium cop. That's just awesome. Sergeant tank. Welcome. Um, so Sergeant, I'll be sending you a, a group of fish, um, on Monday. I believe it is right. Is this, The 23rd's got to be Monday, right? Yeah, okay. So keep an eye out for that. I'm Rebel Reefer. Welcome. All right. Let's see here. Everyone's saying hi, hi, hi. All right, all right. Lisa, glad you made it. Sergeant, hey, Dan. What decent yet affordable digital USB type microphone would you suggest? Well, I don't know, um, if you like the sound of my voice in this live stream, but this is what I'm using. It's, um, it's a, I think it was an, I think his name is an ice. It's in the same family as the blue Yeti and all those. Um, I got it on Amazon and it wasn't very expensive. I uh, 30 bucks, 60 bucks, something like that. So this is the one I use. Um, I am by no means it's a snowball. Yeah. Snowball ice. Um, let's see if, is that too iridescent to see? It's the snowball ice and it's the blue. Um, let me see if there's, yeah, it's, uh, blue microphones. The snowball is what it says and I am by no means an expert on audio equipment. I use this with audacity when I make my videos and I use this when I do my live streams. Um, but if you like how this sounds, that's the mic that I'm using. Um, Alrighty. Oh, you said microscope. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I saw micro and went straight to microphone. Um, that's a good question. I have researched microscopes. Um, it's been a little while. So, Sergeant, I'm not the right guy to answer that right now. Um, and I'm trying to remember the kind that I used in the lab. We had some great ones in the lab um, at the animal hospital I used to work at, but I cannot remember. I'm sorry, man. Um, Oh, I know how to solve your problem. If you go to, how can I do this without losing chat? Let me see if I can get a link. There's a great video from the fish vet on microscopes. Um, Let me see if I can get you a link to this. Um, The fish doctor the fish doctor microscopes he has a whole episode on different microscopes the pros the cons and there's three different ones that he shows um just a sec here the fish Doctor door let's see if i can find here it is how to choose microscopes in the aquarium hobby okay just sec let me see if i can share this with you um And that is probably gonna be a better answer than I can give you. So I'm posting it below right now, Sergeant. So I just posted the link to the YouTube video where uh, the fish doctor, who's this guy that does specifically fish veterinary medicine, I believe in Australia, um, talks about the different types of microphones. I'm sorry, microscopes. <laughs> Sorry, Thomas. What's the dosing for hydrogen peroxide to keep eggs from fungusing? Oh man, um, let me look it up. Um, I have it on a spreadsheet. I can't keep all this in my in my head. I think it's two milliliters per gallon, if I remember right. Um, fish dosage sheet. Okay, I'm looking for it. Hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, it's two milliliters per gallon. Um, Thomas is the dose that that. In, that I kind of use. And I say kind of because you can go with more, you can go with a little less. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be exactly two milliliters per gallon, but maybe start there. And if there's still fungusing, maybe add three and see how that goes. Something like that. I've heard up to five, but I typically stay at about two. Um, Stephen, welcome. Candy, Dan, We'll be going through your neck of the woods, hoping to meet up for a blackworm culture. Yeah, Candy, that sounds great. Um, Tuesday-ish. Candy, would you email me, dan at dansfish.com, and we can discuss uh, outside of the chat. But yeah, I'd love to have you over and be happy to send you home with some some blackworms. That sounds good. Yeah, I went up to uh, the Heights Pet Center Monday actually I had to take someone to the airport my costume designer I had to take her to the airport so she could go back home and I stopped buying your right they didn't have blackworms sergeant yes thank you Dan for supporting the American Library Association yeah of course I'm, I'm happy to support clubs like that um, if if anyone needs fish or whatever for a club as long as I can verify that it's a real club and that the fish are actually going there, then I'm, I'm happy to share. Absolutely. I can't tell you how much I've got out of um, fish clubs and associations over the years. I've just got so much out of them that I don't have any problem giving back. I'm happy to do it. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's laughing at me because I did a whole thing on a microphone when I meant to, when it was asking about a microscope. Yep. i do that all the time i don't finish i don't read the whole comment i just read enough to where i'm like oh and then my brain goes and yeah i think i'd be better at that but i'm not tilapia you worked for a vet yeah so tilapia um i worked for an awesome animal hospital it's studio city animal hospital and the reason it was so great is a It's one of the last um, privately owned animal hospitals in Los Angeles. Most of them are being bought up by uh, a corporation Um, and they're all kind of under the same umbrella. But this is an independent one. It's been around for, I think, 50 years or more. Um, And the doctor there was very, the vets there were very concerned about animals. Um, That came first for them and customer care. So it was a, it was a great, I mean, as good as a veterinary clinic can be or an animal hospital can be, often you go there and, uh, you know, it's for a sad thing, like something's sick or something is injured. Um, But I like their philosophy and I thought that they they did it as right as you can. Um, But the other reason it was great is we treated all kinds of animals. We did a lot of cats and dogs, but we also, um, there were all kinds of, movie studios and universities and private zoos and um, things like that. And we got to take care of all those animals. So we got to see exotic birds. Australian cranes were a cool bird we would see. We would do monkeys. We would do um, reptiles, all kinds of neat stuff. And that's how I paid for uh, my undergrad degree is by working at the animal hospital studio city animal hospital if anyone lives within reach uh close to ventura boulevard down in studio city and needs a vet uh i i've worked um at a couple animal hospitals and i've been to many and I, i would highly recommend studio city animal hospital they're awesome um all right jenny lee hey welcome back jenny um all right. Yeah. So Sergeant, hope that link is helpful. Alex, how do you like keeping the Daisy's rice fish <laughs> or easiest will war a eh? I am considering getting them. What are your thoughts on them? Um, they are so easy and peaceful and um, wonderful. I love them. They, if you take the best traits of a rainbow fish and a fish and combine them together, you have a rice fish so they're active like a rainbow fish but they aren't super fast so they don't disturb um other fish as much as rainbow fish can they um have kind of the deportment of achille and they're easy to to spawn like achille fish they have a neat spawning behavior the the female kind of carries the eggs on her um on her pelvic fins and it's, it's pretty neat. They cluster there like a cluster of grapes until they gradually get brushed off on plants or synthetic spawning mops and things like that. And they're beautiful. I think they, one thing to be aware of is sometimes the pictures make them seem prettier than they are. Um, they have a beautiful blue iridescence on them. It looks kind of like they're chrome plated in this blue on the males when they're fired up. And then they have these orange to red, uh, Margins on the um, upper and lower dorsal rays. I'm sorry, caudal fin rays, tail fin rays. And um, they're a really beautiful fish in a more subtle way, but peaceful, super hardy, easy to keep, easy to breed. Um, I, I like them a lot. Anyone else keeping uh, Daisy's Rice Fish uh, or the Wawore, um Feel free to chime in. Let, let Alex know what your experience is but in my experience, they've been absolutely delightful, kind of wonderful. Um, Thomas Perkins, thank you I'm having trouble with ram eggs. Oh yeah, almost everyone does. So know that. (laughs) Um, And Thomas, if you haven't yet, check out Aquarium Co-op's videos with Dean. Um, You probably already have, but if you don't know about him, he has a few videos with Dean and Dean breeds a lot of rams and kind of goes through his system. Something that might help too with that is um, if you're artificially incubating those eggs is some a little bit of water flow over them to keep the oxygen content high in their area because uh, in nature, the, the parents would fan fresh water over them constantly so they have a lot of oxygen. So that that's something else to think about. Candy, I will email you. Great. I look forward to meeting you in person, Candy. I hope that works out. Um, Q Aquatics, what air system do you use? So, I use a linear piston pump from Jemco um, and it's, uh, I forget the exact one, but they're all pretty much the same as just how powerful they are. Um, I'd have to look up the exact one I got. Actually, I might be able to do that really quick. I already have my Google sheets open for my med sheet. So let me see here if I can look at that and find it quickly. Then I'll tell you the exact, uh, the exact one. Let's see here, if I wrote it on this list. Yeah, so this one does uh, 120, I think liters per minute. or is that liters per hour? I'm not quite sure. but it's the uh, linear piston pump, the, the 120 is the one that I use. And it works well, it does the entire room, and I have a little left over to add more if I needed to. It's quiet. It's, it's a beautiful machine. Um, just make sure when you do it that you put it on a loop so it goes into a PV set that looks like, you know, goes all the way around and then feeds into the tanks. If you just go on one pipe, then you'll have a lot more pressure at the beginning of the pipe than the end of the pipe. But if you put it on a loop, it'll equalize the pressure for you. So keep that in mind. Tilapia, me too. I did for 10 years, then was a pharmaceutical rep. Yeah, I kind of miss the animal hospital days. Um, You meet a lot of cool people and a lot of really cool animals. Yep. Alex, thanks, Dan. I think the daisies rice fish look really cool. I've done my research on them, but not a lot of people keep them. Yeah, they're awesome. Go for it. Sergeant. Yes, Dan, I've done a whole video on breeding them. I saw that video. Yeah. Daisy's blue rice fish. Orzeus wawarae, one of my favorite nano species. Yep. So Alex, check out Sergeant Tank's video on them. Um, I remember that video or series of videos. Was it one or a series? I remember the thumbnail. That's what I remember. (laughs) It was a good thumbnail. Alex. um, Okay, cool. Looks like that's already happening. Bob, saw that video. Jeremy, great information. Yep. Peter. What setup do you personally use for hatching brine shrimp? OK, hang on two seconds and I'll go get it so you can see it. So talk among yourselves. I'll be back. It's it's just down this row. So I'm going to commit a sin here and leave just for a second. OK, this is what I use. Um, It's two liters or four liters, two liters. It's two liters. And this is the stand. It's just made out of kind of PVC and a plastic top. And then this is the cone. um, And then the air goes right on here. It works really well. Um, The air tube will go down and sit into this, into the bottom there. And then when you want the brine shrimp, you just open or close this valve, depending and it'll, and you can collect them. So that's what I use. Um, It works super well. I put in a third of a cup of just cheap old rock salt like you would use to thaw your driveway or or soften water in a water softener. Just make sure it's sodium chloride, not potassium chloride and, or uh, I think it's potassium chloride, it's the other one they sell. Um, And so a third of a cup into two liters Um, then I add the brine shrimp eggs or cysts and it takes a day and a half at my 77 degree temperatures in this fish room for them to hatch. Once they've hatched, I take a clip light and I shine it down at the bottom. Um, all the brine shrimp congregates at the bottom, all the eggshells float up to the top. And then I open this valve Well, I take out the air tube, so it's not in the way. Open this valve and all the, uh, oops, where's the camera? And then all the baby brine shrimp just uh, come right out here from the bottom. And that way I can collect the eggs from the bottom or the babies from the bottom without collecting a bunch of shells from the top. Once I've done that, I always um, find that there's a lot of unhatched eggs. So I'll let it go for a while longer. Um, So i will harvest in the morning and then I'll go back in the afternoon or the evening and harvest again. And usually there's another batch that have hatched. Um, One thing I do that's different than probably everyone else is I rinse it out real good before I set up the next batch. But when I do, I add some hydrogen peroxide to it uh, just to cleanse it out, uh, kill any bacteria that have grown in there from the previous batch and keep stuff clean. If you don't, really wash out your brine shrimp containers well or sterilize them some way then after a few hatches you'll notice a diminished hatch rate because it just gets dirty and gross in there they don't hatch as well but that's what i use it's basically a two liter cone i got it from Gemco. i have two of them unfortunately i don't think Gemco sells them anymore but i've been using that thing for over a decade and it works awesome um all right So Peter, yeah, that's the brine shrimp setup. Sergeant Tanks, um, thank you's going back and forth. Okay, yeah, yeah. So everyone's saying how good Sergeant Tanks video is on the rice fish and it is, it's a good video. Um, all right, Sergeant Tank, where did you acquire that hatchery? Yeah, so Gemco. Candy, I need to be cool like you and hatch BBS. Everyone can hatch baby brine shrimp. I promise you, you can do it. I know that it's a little scary to start. And I know that the first few times that it happens, um, it might not be perfect. There's a little, maybe a little bit of a learning curve. But Candy, when you come, um, I'll, show, I'll, I'll, I'll set up a hatch for you so you can see how I do it exactly. Um, but once you figure it out, and it's not real hard, once you've done it and you figure it out, you get consistent live food for very cheap. I mean, I know that it's like 50 bucks for a pound of eggs, but that's a lot of eggs. That's a ton of food for 55 bucks. It'll last a long time and you can feed baby fish. You can feed adult fish. It's just a good thing to have in your arsenal and a little air, a little salt water. That's really all it takes. Oh, and something else. I have really soft water that goes acidic pretty quick. Once the buffering that they, they add some buffering to it when they put it in the system. So it doesn't, uh, corrode the city's water system by being acidic, but that goes in a couple of days. So I have soft and somewhat acidic water and I don't worry. It, it, it's never been a problem. I still get a good hatch rate. So I haven't had to worry about adding like baking powder. Or is it soda baking soda or anything like that? Um, it's been just fine. So, yep. Um, sergeant Dinks, i always make my own hatchery however looking for new gadgets yeah i mean you can do the same exact thing you just use a two liter soda bottle or pop bottle or coke bottle depending on where you're at in the country get a little epoxy um, and you can epoxy the bottom make sure you stick your airline down there first um, and then you can or your plumbing in at first so you don't you know clog the plumbing but And then you can have your valve at the bottom and do that or you can do the old standby and just siphon it out from the two liter bottle but yeah yeah liquid rock well yeah brian shrimp does great in liquid rock um in in los angeles and utah and santa barbara it it hatches great no no worries lumpy dogs in the house lumpy dog welcome to the house glad you're here jim hey dan Just bought my first half pound of live black worms. Did a cleaning today and had worms crawling through the net and everywhere it seemed. What is a good day to wash? What is a good way to wash and clean them daily? Um, So first thing, um, you might want to consider doing them twice daily, morning and night with really cold water. They'll just last a lot longer if you do. So once a day is great. If you do it twice a day, they'll last a lot longer, and you won't end up with kind of the the yucky part of when the worms start turning white and breaking down on you. Um, But I just take – so there's a couple ways. You can do it through a net like it sounds like you're doing. If you get a really fine net or if you get a sieve, um, like if I go to my local Walmart, I can find a sieve that's made to sieve. Is it sieve or sieve? (laughs) I don't know. But flour – Um, and it's, it's a plastic mesh, they come in metal too, but if you can find a plastic mesh sieve, uh, that's small enough, sometimes you can just take the worms, um, fill the container. You're keeping them in with fresh, cold water directly from your tap. Don't worry about chlorine or anything like that. Um, and then dump them through the sieve and then dump them back. And that's one way to do it. I would do that a few times. But the way I usually do it is not with the net or sieve. Um, let me show you the container, just a sec. So these are what I use. Um, oh, where's the camera? There it is. So this is just a small little uh, like plastic storage container, a little Sterilite plastic shoebox. You can get them at Walmart for 98 cents, Home Depot for $1.20 locally. Um, and so I will put enough in here to cover about half the bottom. Um, and then, cause you don't want to crowd them too much. And then what I do is twice a day, I go to the tap directly from the tap. Again, I don't cleo- dechlorinate the water, anything I've never noticed in doing this for over 25 years. In many different locations. Um, I've never had that be a problem, the chlorine in tap water. So I will fill this container up with cold water, let the worm settle, and then I'll pour it off. And then I'll do it again and pour it off. And I do that three or four times until the each until the water pours off crystal clear. And as I put the water in, I kind of stir the worms around either with my hands or just with the force of the tap water itself, to break up the clumps and really get the stuff out of it. Um, And that's really all I do. And I've got really good at the last one of just pouring into the sink, pouring without a net or anything, and then getting all the water out and not the worms. The worms sink pretty well, that's that's the good thing. It takes a little practice, but um, I found if I do that, I can keep the worms for a long time. They do really, excuse me, really well. So, Jim, I hope that's helpful. Alex, Dan, I really liked your presentation on killifish. Do you have a favorite species? Notice any difference in behavior between different fundulopanchax species? Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Um, so my favorite species, oh, geez. You know, it varies all the time. But I think if I had to pick one killifish and I could only have one ever, it would be um, one of the gardneri. And I don't know which location. I'd have to think about that. Um, I like McCurdy a lot. Maybe Eye McCurdy. No, I'd probably do Gardner Biasa because that's such a highly variable species that, um, or location, I mean, that you'd get lots of different kinds out of it. And if you could only have one, then you could have some with the bright orange and red margins on the dorsal and anal fin and tail fins and you could get some that were more spotted and less, less lined and you get more, more variety. So maybe I do a gardener Ibiasa if I could just do one location. But the reason is, is because they're hardy, they're beautiful. And they were the first killifish that I really produced in any real numbers and felt that thrill of success with. And so it's, it's a nostalgia thing for me. It takes me back to when I was like 14 years old and, uh, and playing with killifish. So, um, but yes, there are definitely different behaviors. There are some Um, Avicheng comes to mind, if I'm saying that right. I'm not reading the name. But um, that you would be lucky to keep more than one male in an aquarium without them killing each other. And then you have species like garden rye, where you can often keep lots of males together with no problem in everything in between. Um, I would say that fundalopanchacs, more than most killies. The males can be quite aggressive to each other, but not to the point where you can't keep most species together. Most of them you can, Um, especially if you have six males or more instead of just two. Anytime you have like two males of a lot of species of fish, you're going to have problems. Um, But yeah, there's definitely different behaviors in the fundalopanchak species. Um, Lisa C., I used a hatchery like that and freeze the extra baby brine shrimp in a silicone, in silicone ice cube trays. Yep. Yep. And then you got the little cubes you can just pop in the tank. Yep. It's a good trick. Um, I, I freeze them just in Ziploc bags, but I just do it really thin. I make sure when I freeze the bag, it's on a flat surface and really thin. So it's easy for me to like break off chunks and throw it in. But the ice cube tray, that seems like a cool trick. Sergeant tanks, your message was retracted. What'd you say, man? <laughs> the bots got you. <laughs> so I don't know what it was, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll never know now. Jim, I asked the right guy. Copy that. Thanks. Hey, you're welcome, Jim. Um, yep. And, you know, you have to play with it to see what works best for you and your schedule and your lifestyle and how much time you have and, you know, all that stuff. But that's what works for me. Sergeant, as for BBS... I acquire mine and the best results with San Francisco Bay. I've given uh, another reputable company, which I won't mention here. However, had zero results. Zero. Wow. Uh, which do you like or who do you like? So, Sergeant, um, first of all, the good thing about the San Francisco Bay brand brine shrimp. <laughs> say that 10 times fast. San Francisco Bay brand brine shrimp. Jeez. It's like rubber baby buggy bumpers um, is that they're smaller than like the Great Salt Lake brine shrimp or some of the, some of the brine shrimp you can get out of Russia or China. Um, and so because they're smaller, you can use them on smaller fry, which is great. So that's why I like them. And also that company has a great reputation. That's been their mainstay for, for decades. Um, and yes, they have a good reputation. I honestly, I use whatever I can find cheapest at the wholesaler, and I've tried lots of brands from lots of countries, and I've never had a problem, Um, and I'm not real persnickety either, whether it's an 85% hatch rate or a 90% hatch rate, Um, as long as I get a good hatch and can feed the fish, so I don't don't worry about that too much. I'll show you the one I'm using right now, just a sec. I'm leaving this... I'm, I, there's like a sin in, in this kind of thing, right? You're never supposed to leave the camera, but I'm just breaking it today. I guess I'll be right back though. All right. Let me show you what I'm using right now. It's these, let me get them out of the bag. So this is what I'm using right now. Um, 82% hatch rate. Um, and I've never, you know, counted the cysts and then the resulting, I don't know exactly what the hatch rate is, but it's good. I get a good hatch rate with these. Um, I keep them in the freezer, keep them sealed up. I have had this container for a few years at least and it's still hatching as well as when I first opened it. Um, let's see. I think I can show you Let's see if it'll focus well enough so you can see where I got them. Um, the website is mvpaquatics.com is where I got those from. Well, I actually got these from a wholesaler, but it looks like that's where the public can get them. Um, mvpaquatics.com. So there, that's, the, that's the brand I'm using right now. It's kind of a no brand. Um, I haven't tried brine shrimp direct. Um, I don't know if that's the company that you're referring to and you don't have to tell me, but so I have not tried brine shrimp direct yet. So, but I've tried lots of them and had a good hatch each time. Um, rich Andy. Hello. Hello, rich. Glad you're here. Um, thanks. Oh, you're welcome, Sergeant. Yeah. But, but folks, if, Sergeant's right. I think if if you if it's important to you to have a super high hatch rate, then San Francisco Bay Brian Shrimp is has been doing that for decades. They might be a little pricier, but they have a good hatch rate and they have a smaller hatch size, which is very useful. Alex, cool. Thanks, Dan. I've been into Achilles and rice fish recently. Um, as you can tell, wanted to go with garden rye, but considering MEADI and Sporzenbergi. Sporenberg, sorry, there's no S there. Instead, too, didn't know about Biasa gardenerai. Yeah, um, they're all good, though. All the gardenerai are awesome. Um, in fact, there's a there's a great Jocka, Journal of the American Killifish Association, that came out several years ago, dedicated just to gardenerai, and showed the different collection points and all the different varieties. They're fairly similar. Um, there's kind of a group where you have the yellow and red margins on the well let's show hang on let's show just a second okay just a moment and we're coming and here we are so um there's a few different kinds there's these um on the upper left which are kind of have the red and yellow margin on the dorsal anal and caudal fins. And then there's other varieties that are more spotted throughout. Um, And that's kind of the two general color patterns you'll find in garden, right? What's neat about the Biasa is you'll get some that look like this and some that look like this and everything in between. And so that's what I like about them. Um, The Biasa is a highly variable location. So... Oh, let me make sure it's not Basua. Is it Biasa or Basua? Biasa. Is that the one? Uh, it might be Basua. I can't remember. <laughs> Basua? Uh, I can't remember if it's Biasa or Basua. Sorry, Alex. But um, what I like about them is you get the full color. Palette, all the different kinds you can get um, in one spawn from one pair so if I had to keep only one kind I'd do that because then I'd have all the variation to play with Um, all right so it looks like we've reached the bottom of the chat we've been going for a little over 45 minutes so this is the point in the chat where I say if you have a comment or a question or anything you uh, really want to say this is the time to do it because in a few minutes here, we'll be shutting it down unless unless folks, unless we get into like a, you know, a discussion or something. But um, yeah, if there's anything, if, if you're having a problem and need a solution, you know, today or any of that stuff, or you have a comment that you, you want to discuss or a topic, um, now's the time. Um, and depending on how that goes, we'll, we'll, we'll shut her down or hang out a little longer, just depending on how that goes. Um, Jim Hanley, I use a bottle of instant brine shrimp for a batch of... Texas cichlid fry. I didn't have time to hatch live brine. They devoured it. Cool. What is instant brine shrimp? Is that uh is that like one of those tube foods or is it like frozen baby brine shrimp? I'm not really familiar with it. So let me know, Jim. I'd love to know what that is. Viola, will you show your fish room soon? Um yes. Um Viola not much has changed since the uh, my fish room 2.0 video um, but I could do a yeah I could do a around the world tour again um, sure it's been a little while so why not I will do that um, Bob I've used it also okay yeah good worked for you as well I'm assuming comes in a small bottle okay yeah so it's like the little substitute stuff yep yep All right. Um, All right. Looks like we're about wrapping it up. So let's see here. Um, We'll definitely. Oh, Bob. Good for a month or so, I think. Logical Fish Store told me good for 24 hours, but Direction said one month. Yeah, it depends. Um, Sometimes there's two different things it could be referring to. It could be referring to how long it can stay without being opened and then how much after it's opened, how long it's good for. So maybe it's good for a month, but once you open it, it's only good for 24 months. Like my wife and I have this argument sometimes where (laughs) there'll be something that is, that one of us wants to throw away and the other one will be like, it's not expired yet. It doesn't expire till April. And it's like, yeah, but we opened it. Like (laughs) a can of beans will last for years, but once you open it, it probably doesn't last for years. So it might be one of those things. Alex, favorite type of worm to feed fish? Grindle versus micro versus banana. I'm gonna have to go with uh, micro worms or banana worms. Honestly, they're, they're kind of the same. Um, the difference is that micro worms are longer and thinner and banana worms are shorter but stockier. Or maybe I have that backwards. One is longer and thinner, one shorter, but a little girthier. Um, I haven't noticed a whole lot of difference. I keep both microworms and banana worms um, and I haven't noticed any fry that can eat one but not the other. That's the theory though. Um, but I would keep microworms and banana worms. And the reason is, or banana worms, either one, they're kind of the same to me. The reason is, is they're a lot easier to culture than griddle worms. Um, they they go forever and they have a high yield. And you can feed fry with them. And I think the difficulty for a fish breeder like me is always the fry food, the first foods you, you give the babies. Once they're a little bigger, they can eat all kinds of stuff. But uh, for me, microworms and, uh, and or banana worms would be it. The other thing is, even though they're tiny, a lot of fish will eat them. Um, all kinds of smallish fish will eat them from pseudomugal rainbows as adults will eat them. Rice fish will eat them. Um, all kinds of catfish will eat them. Corridors will eat them. Once they're on the bottom, their little, their little feelers will feel them and they'll suck them right up. Um, they're great for like Corridors hebrosis, Corridors pygmaeus, the, the little pygmy type quarries. Um, so if I could do one or the other, it would be those. They're super easy to do. They last forever. The cultures don't get mites. That's something I hate about the Grindel um, worm cultures is... They get infested with mites, and I haven't yet found a culture that isn't, doesn't have mites in it. Like, eventually, every culture I've ever had gets just so infested with mites, I have to get rid of it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my answer. Alex, for fry and adults. I, I think I answered that. Um, I use microworms for fry and for a lot of adults. You know, once once fish get to a certain size, the some larger species and stuff aren't interested, but a lot are. A lot of the small tropicals are Bob Clater, after open refrigerate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're talking about the uh, baby brine shrimp substitute. Yep. <laughs> Thomas Perkins girthier. <laughs> yes, Thomas girthier. Um, I'm not going to comment on that, but if you wonder what that means, just, just Google it. You'll, you'll, you'll get some information. I promise. <laughs> Thomas, my geophagus eat microworms. Yeah. Any of those bottom sifting type species, Um, that's what they're doing, right? They're going through, sifting the sand and sucking out all these tiny little critters from it. So yeah, Geophagus, suck them right up. (laughs) Girthier. So, yep. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome, Alex. Jane, hi, Dan, just got home, saw you were on, or Jane, I'm sorry, Janet. Uh, Thanks, Janet Wittenberg, glad you are here. Um, Candy, thank you, Dan, see you next week, I'll email you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing you. You'll uh, emil me. <laughs> I, yeah, I see. Um, dog. thanks for the half of live stream I caught. You're welcome. Well, thanks, everyone, for being here. Um, that's about it for tonight. I'll be doing it again next Wednesday. And I did start on a video of Limia Perugier. I thought I would get it done today, but I, I didn't. Um, I ran into, uh, I had to do some work stuff a little later than I thought. So, um, but I should be able to get that out, you know, pretty soon, tomorrow, maybe the next day. Um, So I'll have some more species profiles coming out Um, now that the play is launched and things that frees up uh, some of my time so I can do some more things besides the live stream. So keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, everyone have a great night until next time and have a wonderful evening.